awesome day together. Uh, before we dive in, I want to take a moment. You know, yesterday was Veterans Day, and I want to take a moment and just honor those in the room. Uh, if you're a veteran, would you mind standing? If you're active in military, would you stand right now and let us honor you today? Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love and appreciate what you guys have sacrificed so much. Uh, we'd like to take a moment and actually pray for our veterans, for our country, and for a few other things this morning. Absolutely. My brother was a Marine, and he was a drill instructor, which means he's intense. <laughs> but um, I saw firsthand um, what serving in the military um, did with his marriage and his kids. I mean, the sacrifice they they also pay so that their loved one can serve our country. And so, hey, let's pray for them and let's let's be thankful for them. Father, we thank you for our armed forces. Lord, we know that freedom has a price. Yes. Freedom is expensive. It's costly. We know that because your son died so that we could have eternal freedom. And Lord, we know that because we live in a country where we experience more freedoms on a daily basis than a lot of people in this world will know in their lifetime. And we're grateful. We are grateful for that, Father God. We thank you for the armed forces who make that possible, for those who have sacrificed much to guard our country. Lord, we speak blessing over them in Jesus' name. Those who have served and those who are serving, favor in their lives, blessing over their marriages, blessing over their kids, that there is a grace over their households, blessing over their finances and their health. Holy Spirit, be their guide, go before them, be their rear guard, protect them in all things, Father God. We honor our veterans today in Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. We also want to pray for our pastor as he is away today, Pastor Kirk, as he ministers in England to so many churches there. God, we're praying for the words that you have put inside of him. God, I believe you are helping him plant seeds in other church leaders, Father, that will last for eternity. So, Lord, I pray for open doors, for favor to be on him in every single meeting, uh, that you would grace each church that he visits, Father, that more opportunities just like this would open for him, for us to influence uh, and bring your name across uh, countries across the globe. Father, we also want to lift up the community of Sutherland Springs. Father, the First Baptist Church there and what happened last week. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to intervene. Father, every single person who was affected by this, every single family member who lost a loved one who lost a friend, who lost a neighbor. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit draw near to them right now. God, that you bring peace, truly peace that passes all understanding. Father, we don't understand why things happen like this, but we do understand that you are a God that can take even situations like this and turn it into good. So God, we stand with them. We lift their arms up this morning. Father, we pray protection over every single house of God across our nation that lifts up the name of Jesus, protection over each one of them. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Awesome. Well, good to see you guys today. If I have not had a chance to meet you, my name is Ryan, and I'm a part of our staff team here at the church. This is my lovely wife, Therese. 
Yes, my name is Therese, and um, I, I have been a part of this church for 20 years. So is Ryan. I w had the privilege of being on staff for 10 years, and then this past spring came off staff to become a stay-at-home mom, And but I will always be a staff member <laughs> at heart. <laughs> well, we're excited, uh, really privileged, honored to be with you this morning. We want to share uh, some thoughts with you today. We're in this series called Life, Money, Hope. Let's all say that together. Life, Money money, hope, and this is the second message in that series. I appreciated what Pastor Kirk uh, taught us last week, some great teaching, some great reminders about fixing our hope on God. That's so good. Uh, we're reminded also that the Bible actually talks about money a lot. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money, about finances, about possessions, and um, that's a good reminder for us. You you know, I love it that last week we were also reminded, uh, as, as tricky and, and maybe complicated as it might be to hear this, but that we're all actually kind of rich. Doesn't feel like that always, but uh, we, we talked about the fact that in Asheville, considering the household median income, I believe it's around 44000 and in Asheville, that median income puts you in the top half of 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet. And I promise, even if it doesn't feel that way, if you've ever been outside of the United States, visited a third world country, there brings some, there's some perspective that can help you appreciate exactly how rich we truly are. I love it that uh, last week we were also reminded of a theme uh, that has run through our church's history, through our pastor's ministry, is that the life that God wants you to live is a blessed life, not a life of lack not a life of want, but one that is blessed, one that is full of abundance. You know, pastor's been teaching that for decades, and I can't believe I'm actually old enough to say decades, but he has. We've been here for 20 years. He was teaching that when we first came. Uh, he was teaching that before we came. And so this isn't just a new idea or he thought, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of running out of material. Maybe I'll teach on finances. That, that'll make everybody excited. Um, he, that wasn't his, that wasn't the plan. He's been teaching this regularly for decades, not, not to get into anything from us, but, but hear this. This is the approach on all of this today. This is not to get something from you. This is actually something for you. I want you to hear that very clearly about this entire series. Uh, we teach on this, this topic uh, around this time of year most every year. And uh, it's a great time to teach on this because we're getting ready to go into the holidays and the Thanksgiving and the Christmas. And I don't know about you, but I am kind of checking out my bank account when, when all the lists of uh, what relative do we have to get for that present? Like, we, we, we seriously, we, we have to get them a present? All right, fine. Um, those are the kind of conversations happening in our household sometimes, maybe yours as well. But it's a great time to learn about this, again, not just for your own 
practical sake, uh, but to actually help you go to a new place in your life. Uh, but we do care about the practicals as well. In fact, in January, we're going to be offering a very practical financial class for anybody who you just want a little bit of help getting your finances in order. And I don't know about you, but I think we can all use a little bit of help. Can somebody say amen? Yeah, so, um, th- and like I said, this is our approach that we absolutely, uh, this morning and our church, do not want anything from you, but absolutely do want something for you. I want, I want you to hear us this morning, uh, and really throughout this series, because we'll be doing this for a couple of weeks, I want you to hear this correctly, that it's never our job to ask for money. And if you're hearing that, hear it in a different way, because that's not what's actually happening. It's our job to teach what the Bible says, to teach what is God's word about how to live our lives. So it's our job to teach that, and it's our job to show opportunities that we all have to walk that out in our lives. So God takes care of the rest. Don't, Don't see any of this as us trying to convince you, trying to coerce you, trying to twist your arm, because if you're anything like me, if anybody tries to convince you and, and twist you into thinking something different, yeah, exactly. It's that feeling right there of like, no, I don't think so, right? You're, you're not into that. And, and so hear this all in the right spirit. God is in charge of our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit's job to take care of all of that. So it's our job to teach. Uh, God takes care of the rest. Amen? So I do want to talk about, though, an opportunity that our entire church family has a part of that's coming up on December 10th. You heard a little bit about it earlier, but it is our Endeavor Christmas offering. And so if you have noticed over the past couple of months, the front of the building is a little different. We are stepping out in faith uh, to do this because it's what we feel like God wants us as a church to do. One thing that you will know very quickly about our church, if you don't already, is that we are not going to settle for comfortable. We're not going to settle for good enough. We have a mandate from God to reach every single person in Asheville and Western North Carolina that we as a church are called to reach. And this is part of that. So we're expanding our lobby. We're expanding our outdoor living spaces. And what we're asking is for our entire church family to be a part of this, to prayerfully consider how you can jump in and be a part. We want to make space for new connections. Uh, We want to make space for people just like you when you first walked in, right? You had a day one. Uh, Teresa and I had a day one a long time ago. We want to make space for those kind of connections. So we're asking for everyone to prayerfully consider how you can be a part of this. And we're putting a challenge out there. We're putting out a challenge. I like a good challenge. Don't you? I like a target. I like something to, to, to shoot for. So this is what uh, we're, we're challenging our church family in. Uh, we're asking 150 families or individuals to give a 1000 at this Endeavor Christmas offering. And I know, that sounds like a lot, and it is. But what we're believing is that God, our God, is a God that is big enough, that is a God of abundance, uh, that is a God that has more than enough for every single thing that you need and every single thing that we need. So we're trusting God in faith on this. We're asking our whole church family to be a part, to bring your best on that day. And we're going to take Asheville. Amen? Amen. We're going to take Asheville. This is what we're going to do together. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, so we are talking today about God's way. 
with handling our finances. And one of that first, one of the very first steps that he teaches us is through the tithe. And before we get into that, though, I want to say I am grateful to have pastors who talk about money. Grateful. Because, y'all, money is real life. That's real life. How many times have you today, just this morning while you're getting ready for church, did you think about your financial situation? Just this morning, thinking about bills that need to be paid, what's my bank account look like right now, got Christmas gifts coming up. Some of you might even had conversations about it just this morning. So this weekend, this week, this month, this year, how much have your finances been on your mind, weighing on your heart? Our finances can be such a source of anxiety, fear, pain, but they can also be a source of hope and peace. And God very much cares about the state of our heart, that it be full of hope and peace. So I'm grateful that we have pastors who talk about what the Bible talks about when it comes to our money. Um, I was actually speaking with a relative this week, and they're a seasoned believer. They are tithers. And they said, I love my church, but I wish my pastor wasn't so fearful to talk about money. Very rarely does it. And and this church is full of new believers that need education about what do I do with my finances now that I have Jesus as the Lord of my life. And I am grateful that our pastor does not get bullied because pastors get bullied about this subject. They get bullied and they get shushed. Don't talk about money. Don't talk about it. It makes people uncomfortable. But I, I appreciate that for the 20 years that I've been here, Pastor Kirk boldly teaches what the Bible teaches about finances and how to do it God's way, because our way makes a mess. And you, you may not know Pastor Kirk super well, but I can go ahead and tell you, he will not be shushed. No, he will, he will not he, be He shushed. will not be shushed, and my wife will also not be shushed. <laughs> okay, I need to move on. Hey, but this is what the church should do. Hey, this is yeah. what, I, I actually feel shame on churches for not talking about real life, the things that we're really thinking about, the things that keep us up at night the things that trouble our hearts. And so I'm grateful that we talk about money here. Hey, uh, a lot of us have Jesus as our savior, right? We have prayed that prayer and he has, he has saved us from ourselves, right? But we are still walking out him being our Lord. That is different from savior, being the Lord of our life, the Lord of each area of our life, the Lord of my marriage, the Lord of my health, the Lord of my friendships, the Lord of my habits, the Lord of my finances. And so that's one thing I love that this church does is, yes, meet Jesus. He is your savior. And now we're going on this lifelong journey where he will be the Lord. And you're going to learn to submit each area of your life to his lordship and see blessing and growth come when he is the Lord. Yeah, so God God wants you blessed, not just for yourself, but to be an actual blessing to other people. And, and that comes through freedom and revelation really in every area of your life, not just finances. But I know that if my finances are in trouble, I'm not overflowing with anything really to give anybody, right? So he wants us to be rich in every single way, in every single area of our lives. We do have a phrase that we've said around here for years, and it is this, that if God can get it through you, God can get it to you. Yeah. So today, this is what we're going to do. Teresa and I are going to share our personal giving stories, and then uh, we're going to jump into some common questions about tithing, the sexiest topic in church. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) We're jumping right in. Let's do this. All right. Okay. Hey, We are not experts. 
case you haven't noticed. But ultimately, I do want you to know this. We are all personally responsible, each of us individually, to seek the counsel of the Lord about our personal lives. Okay, so let's just go ahead and say that right there. You are responsible to seek the Lord about your, your personal life in all the areas. So, but let me tell you my story. Um, I'm very grateful that my parents were both believers, and my dad taught me to tithe at a young age. I got, my first job was working at Revco, which is now CVS, when I was 15. So I was a cashier at Revco, so I'd get that awesome paycheck. And I remember the first paycheck, I brought it home, and it's in the special envelope. My dad gets out a pen, and he says, all right, Therese, let's do some math, and we're going to... Talk about, this is how you do tithe, okay? And so it's just, it's just what I did. I didn't know there was an option yeah. to not. And so then when I moved on to, so then various jobs from 15 years old on, I go to college, I was an RA, a resident assistant, which basically means you're paid a teeny bit of money to be a big sister to a whole hallway of girls, and $200 a month. So I was attending this church. The church got $20 a month from me. Let me tell you, I was getting some stuff done here at the church with that, with that tithe. Um, but there are two things that I want you to know about my 20s and my finances. The first thing is that here at this church, I found role models in generosity. And I didn't even know that was something you could do, have a role model in generosity. But I saw these women around me um, whenever there was an opportunity to give. And a missions trip was happening. A guest speaker was here. There was an offering to bless someone. Um, back in 1997, you had to use a checkbook. So I saw them. They reached into their purse and wrote a check. Every single Offering time. used to take 30 minutes. It did. It was oh, my goodness. And so um, they, I saw these women being very generous, but I saw them live these lives of generosity. They opened their homes. They hosted small groups. If someone needed a baby shower, they were there. They owned their own businesses often. They were spending a lot of plates, and there seemed to be a grace to it. And I connected those dots and was like, there is something to all of this. These women who are confident with their generosity. I, hmm, it piqued my interest. But also you need to know in my 20s, I was not very good with my finances. I really wasn't. In fact, the only consistent thing in my life was probably that I was tithing. And so my personality type still is, but really then, I was honestly bored by the idea of budgeting. I mean, it just seemed so lame and boring and stifling and stuffy, and I, I just didn't Why seem like that. are you looking at me I when just, you say that? <laughs> Makes me feel my, uncomfortable. My, <laughs> my joke is that my husband was bored with a suit on, and <laughs> but I'm grateful because That's not in we your notes. Would be Keep moving. <laughs> Get a back injury. Okay. So... <laughs> But I did not track my spending. I bounced checks. And I, but I thought, no, I'm a free spirit. I don't want to deal with budgeting. Oh, and it just seemed like, no, that's not me. I'm not an accountant, you know. And so I didn't keep track of my money. I just didn't, I didn't like it. It seemed to me like boundaries and boring. And, and, but now, now that I'm older, in fact, I couldn't even do my taxes. And you know, they couldn't have been that complicated. I was not making very much money. So Ryan, we were friends and he did my taxes for me. And that's how we fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was truly the, the beginning of the most boring, uh, dorky love story ever told. They're gonna make a movie. <laughs> What's your standard deduction, baby? <laughs> I don't even know what that word means. Mm. So we, so I, but this was all a different language to me and I had no interest in fixing that. Um, but now that I'm older, I realize that I was shrinking my world with my own foolishness. Shrinking it, shrinking it. I, I limited my opportunities. So when something cool came up that I could do that cost more than $5, you know, whatever it was, go on a trip, have this cool opportunity. I couldn't do it. It was always like, oh, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. And so my, my, so here I am thinking I'm a free spirit, but really how free, how free was I? Um, I think the only safety net I really had was the fact that I tithe. And the older that I've gotten now, I've learned to grow in discipline in many areas of my life. I've learned to hold my tongue in many areas of my life. Just learning discipline, you know? And I've learned to not be so, I've learned to, I've learned to not be so passive with Learning my finances. Too. Yeah. <laughs> no, you just, I'm just mean, life in general. You don't have to say everything you're thinking. There's a discipline. Come on, guys. I mean, you don't have to, okay, Zeus. <laughs> I've learned to not be so passive with my finances. Um, I've learned that I've learned to submit to the financial wisdom of my husband. He has a ton of wisdom. And to submit to his instincts about things. Um, and I want you to know this, that if you, if this sounds familiar to you, if you relate to my personality type, that there's hope. You too can become a grown up. <laughs> I want you to know that because I am learning to find the joy in the discipline. And I know those two words sound like they actually cancel each other out, but there is the joy in the discipline. And any of you who have, who have endeavored to tackle something hard that you never thought you'd ever do, and you did it, the joy and the confidence that that starts to build, it's awesome. It's awesome. So it kind of reminds me of this, of this analogy real quick with dogs, and I'll be fast. But how many of you grew up with dogs? I did. And, but all of my dogs were crazy. And one of them in particular, Doodlebug, she was totally nuts. And she, I know, she sounds ferocious, but she, um, and it was our own fault as dog owners. We did not train our dogs. We would half-heartedly do some obedience classes, go to half of them, but not do the daily training that you're supposed to do with your dog to help them learn to be an obedient dog. So our dogs were crazy. This means that the minute the door opened, was left open for a second, that dog bolted outside and was gone for hours. You'd have to get in the car and go find him, right? These are the dogs that pee on the floor when you pet them. These are the dogs that jump on people. I mean, these are the dogs I grew up with, right? They're all crazy. So what did we do with these dogs? Nothing. They could stay in the house and we walked them on a short leash to go to the bathroom, right? That's about it. So these dogs were not going with us on family trips because they're crazy. They wouldn't come back. And so I, I would see these dogs, I, see, I would see these dogs out doing these cool things and I would think, man, my dog would be in another state by now. That's so amazing that that dog can do that. And so that was Doodlebug, right? No structure, no boundaries. And she probably thought she was a free spirit. You know, she doesn't listen to her masters. She does whatever she wants. And then now compare that to a dog that I became very familiar with as a dog sitter for a good friend for years. And his name was Scout. And he was a trained quail hunter. So he had tons of obedience. He was like the Marine of dogs. And so he would come when you call. He was obedient. He was, he was sharp. And he, he, you, he understood orders. He understood boundaries. Scout got to go camping. He went canoeing. He went to downtown festivals. Scout, 
got to do all these fun things. And so I imagine if Doodlebug and Scout were talking, Doodlebug might think, ha ha, Scout, you listen to your master. <laughs> but you know what? Scout, when it comes down to it, new boundaries and had been trained and new discipline and, and listened to the voice of his master and actually had a richer, more full life than Doodlebug who had to be on a tight leash because she couldn't be trusted. And so that, that analogy has stuck with me. I don't, don't want to be a Doodlebug. I don't. So, so be... <laughs> Let you, I hope that if nothing else today, you don't hear anything else, don't be a doodlebug. That should be the tagline for our series, yeah. don't be doodlebug. <laughs> I also want to say, side note, if you're one of those people that names your dog a silly name, you should expect silly things. I feel like Doodlebug was the perfect, anyway. So here's, here's my story. Let me tell my story really quick. So I grew up in a good Baptist church in Winston-Salem, and this is the part where Therese wants me to include the fact that I was also in a handbell choir for many, many years. Where my handbell people at? And this was actually part of the major attraction that she had to me, uh, because you don't get these kind of biceps just doing nothing, right? <laughs> So my, <laughs> some, some, some of y'all get that, you'll get it later. Um, my parents, uh, I love my parents, they're awesome people. They, they taught me about finances when I was really, really young. Like when I was starting, uh, you know, five, six, seven years old, we were talking about finances. And, and the joke that we would make, it's kind of funny, kind of not, but uh, is that we never really talked about the birds and the bees and those sort of conversations. But man, we were talking about budgeting and finances and investing when I was really, really young. So you guys, you guys were at home on a Friday night and you're watching Full House on TV. You're watching Who's the Boss and Mr. Belvedere. And I'm sitting at home watching what the market did that day and watching financial shows with my parents telling my friends about the dividends that are coming up in the next quarter. So that was, I know, I, it, it's, it's like you're understanding who I am a little bit easier now. That eh, makes more sense. So so we didn't talk about giving a ton, um, but, but you, you know this if you have kids, and I'm really learning this uh, having two small ones now, is that kids are watching everything. They're watching everything. And I watched and I learned, even though we didn't talk about it a bunch, I saw my parents give consistently every single week at church. And that made an impact on me. At, at my church, we would do, do campaigns. Uh, the Baptist church I grew up in, they would do campaigns. And when it came time to pledge, uh, that was awesome. That was my favorite part. I loved telling how much I was possibly going to give. I would just make up a number and then tell them. And everyone would be high-fiving me and, and like smiling. And that was great. Pledging is awesome. I didn't like the giving part. That was terrible. I, di I didn't do it. So I, I just did the pledging part because that's fun and easy and I just never gave. That's terrible. Why are you laughing? I, we should all be ashamed of the little boy that I was that would pledge all this money and they would build buildings and then I wouldn't write the check. So... 
I, I, I finished up with that. They kicked me out of the church, I think, and I had to come to college, and I came here to UNC Asheville, and that's when I started coming to church. Here is Therese and uh, Greg, Jess, a bunch of us that started coming, and that's when I started to change my thinking. And Pastor, like I said, he's been teaching this since day one. This isn't new territory, and so my mind started to shift and change about my finances. And uh, I didn't have any income while I was in school, but the very last semester of college, I just felt like God spoke to me and said, I want you to give $50 a month. And for a college kid, $50 is a lot of money. Like that is, that is almost 50 trips to Waffle House. Uh, it is, it is. Try it, try it. You'll, you'll see. Um, but I, I finished up school and I immediately got a job in the financial world, uh, which I did not deserve. It was an amazing thing. And, and I spent nine years working in that world. And I didn't know it at the time, but I literally, for over nine years, I had a front row seat to the power of money. And I got to see the power it had in people's lives. I got to see people who had money, and I got to see situations where money had people. And every day I got to watch that, and I'm learning all these things. And, and I, I would receive blessing after blessing after promotion after raise. The doors were just wide open from me uh, in, in that world. And, and it wasn't anything I was doing. And I attribute so much of that to the fact that I was just regularly tithing in my life. I wasn't doing anything else extravagant. And so I attribute so much of that. But that's, that's kind of tough. A lot of that is tough for a brain like mine that's very analytical. It's kind of tough to process, right? I, 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 I couldn't process how is me giving away actually increasing. Right? All my spreadsheet people out there, you know, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's just nonsense. What are you talking about? And I remember even one year, quick story, that uh, at the very beginning of the year, I felt like God wanted me to, uh, to start giving uh, a certain amount that was beyond what I was already doing with my tithe. And, and I didn't understand, but I just, I just started doing it and felt like that's what God wanted me to do. Time passed. The whole year went by. I uh, got to the end of the year, and, and uh, God brought it back to my mind, and I, I through, through multiple promotions and raises and different things that I'd been blessed with that year, the new income that I had, the amount that I started giving that, that increased was exactly 10%, exactly, of my new income. And it was that kind of stuff that would just happen that that makes no sense. Right. It makes no sense. How would that happen like that? And, and so all kinds of stories like that through my life, uh, through our marriage. We got married. We started uh, giving. We built our marriage on those kinds of principles that we are going to be uh, a family that gives. We're going to be a, a generous family. We're going to be a tithing family. And these were principles that we had uh, built our marriage on. We both came in with that, that idea. And so we started to gain some traction. And I started to feel a little more comfortable and this dual income situation and figuring out our bank accounts and got into this rhythm and started to feel pretty cozy, actually, um, with our financial world. Everything was kind of smooth sailing. And, and then this happened. Um, <laughs> I blinked 
and I had these amazing, amazing cuties. These are our babies. This is Noble, uh, our, our son, who's almost two years old, and this is little Evangeline on the right. She'll be nine months this month. And I think Noble's working on our message. He is. Right he was here. finishing up the he last few wrote, details. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah. So. I, it was just, we blinked, and this happened. You parents, you know what I'm talking about. And there were things that we prepared for, and there were things we did not prepare for. Every parent in the room goes, yes, I know what you're talking about. I mean, even the very beginning of Noble's life, we were not ready for a 35-day stay at the NICU. That was crazy, crazy financially, crazy emotionally. We weren't ready for all that, but I can say this, looking back at all that over the last couple of years, that our God has been faithful. Our God has been faithful in every single situation in our lives, and that is who our God is. Kids, kids amplify everything, though, don't they? Kids amplify everything. They're super cute, right? They're super cute. But, but how about this? If uh, I brought Noble and Evangeline in here in five years and brought them on stage and they still looked like that, you, you wouldn't know really what to say. You'd be like, is that, are they okay? Like, do you need to go to the doctor? <laughs> is everything all right? Because they aren't growing. That's, that's a problem, and we can spot that kind of stuff really easy when they're kids and they're babies because we're tracking that, and it's important. But I think, I think here's the trick is that a lot of times we get stuck and we stop growing. Our physical bodies uh, finish growing, but we stop growing spiritually. We stop growing emotionally. We stop growing in, in our wisdom, and that's, that's way trickier to see. But we want to be adult Christians, don't we? We don't want to be kids. And, and the holidays are, are right around the corner. Christmas is coming. And you know, one of the things that's really easy to tell the kids from the adults, right? Because the kids at Christmas are very excited about what? Getting something, right? Yeah, they want presents. They are excited about gimme, gimme, gimme. The adults, the adults are excited about what? They're excited about giving, right? right? Adults are excited about that, and that's who I want us to be as a church, as believers, to be excited about giving, excited about being generous. So uh, we're, we're teaching today about the tithe. Uh, it's foundational to a believer's thinking. Uh, we want to get this first button right. Our tagline for the series is God's way works. And I promise it does. God's way works. Let's jump into some questions here. Our first question is this. It's a basic one. Let's just get some fundamentals out of the way. First question is this. What is tithing? All right. The word tithe means tenth or the tenth part, and it is giving 10% of your income to your local church. Now the tithe is many things. It's a declaration. It's a declaration to ourselves that we understand and we agree that God owns everything. He owns the material things. He owns the spiritual things in our lives. That's what we are declaring when we tithe. It is a reminder to keep God first. He is my source. So when we're tithing, that's what it is. God, you're first. You are my source. That's, that is what's happening when we tithe. God, you're first. You are my source. That's what we're saying, declaring to ourselves, declaring to our spirit when we tithe. Tithing was created to break selfishness. Yep. 
off of our lives. Man, that is a good muscle to, to work out, the muscle of being unselfish. Makes us better wives, better husbands, better employers, better employees, better relatives when we are unselfish. Right. Tithing is the way the local church is resourced, not through bake sales, not through candy bar fundraisers. God had a plan for his local church to get things done, and that's through tithing. And tithing is the way to release blessing into your life. We, we line ourselves up and say, God, I trust you, and then he can get to work. Hey, let's read God's command and his promise in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, and test me now on this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So that's his command and it's his promise. The next question that we often hear when, it, when the topic of tithe comes up, though, is a great question. Should I tithe on my gross or my net? Yes, yeah, so this is an easy one. It's actually not a technical question. The answer is gross. Uh, but really, I want to talk about the heart of what tithing is actually all about. The heart of tithing is actually a revelation on obedience and relationship. This is not a formula to earn God's behavior. It's not uh, a way that we do one, two, three, and now God's happy with us. It's actually a form of honor. It's a form of worship. It's a form of obedience to God. You know, every healthy relationship is not built out of what is the minimum requirement I need to do to keep this person happy with me, right? You're shopping for an engagement ring. You're not going, hey, what is the cheapest engagement ring you have, sir? I really love my significant other, right? You're not doing that. Well, maybe some of you are. I don't know. That sounds like some guilty laughing out there. You shouldn't, right? So that's not how we approach it. Uh, we're not counting how many I love yous you say to your spouse to make sure they stay happy, right? How many is it? You're not going that approach. I'm not, I'm not counting and, and reading parenting books on how many times I need to kiss my daughter Evangeline so that she feels loved by her father. I'm almost smothering her to death in kisses. That's, that's what I do. And so this is, this is a good way to think about tithing. It is our first and our best. Let's look at Proverbs 3, 9. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce. So your gross, talking about your paycheck, your gross is your whole paycheck, right? Your net is your paycheck after deductions happen, after taxes, after insurance, after you put money into your retirement account, that sort of thing. And tithing on gross is tithing on your entire paycheck. Tithing on net is tithing on part of your paycheck. So uh, for the question of gross versus net, it's gross because we're giving God our first and best from the whole paycheck. Next question, isn't tithing just an Old Testament law? This is a big hang-up for some people. We just want to address it. You know, a fun fact before we totally dive into that, tithing didn't start with the law. Abraham actually started tithing in Genesis. Jacob followed after him. So it wasn't the law that inspired it. It actually was a heart decision that inspired that. 
So it's important for us to remember, I think. I also think Jesus, um, Jesus came, and some people think that, that this New Testament of Jesus, uh, New Testament Jesus cancels out the tithe, and I think he knew that some people might be confused by this. So let's look at Matthew, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. It says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to what? To accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. That's so good there because Jesus is reminding us, hey, I did not come to do away with the old things. In fact, I came to fulfill them. I came for them to accomplish their initial purpose. So what, what's interesting, if you start to dive into it, is that Jesus actually raised the bar on the Old Testament stuff, right? So Old Testament is, I've sinned, I need to get right with God, so I'm going to bring a sacrifice, I'm going to bring burnt offerings, I'm going to bring my tithe, and now I'm right with God. In the New Testament, Jesus goes way beyond that. He says, this is way beyond that. Uh, I want you to lay down your whole life. I want you to lay down everything. Pick up your cross and follow me. See, Old Testament says, uh, do not commit adultery. But see, New Testament says, don't even have lust in your heart. Old Testament says, do not commit murder. New Testament thinking is, don't even have hateful thoughts about another person. That's going to the next level. That's not abolishing or canceling anything. That's Jesus actually raising the standard for all of it. Amen? He actually endorsed tithing as well. And the context of this next verse I'm going to read is Jesus bringing some hardcore, straight talk fire. He was the God of peace, but he is also the God of fire. Amen? Matthew 23, 23 says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law? Jesus had harsh words for religious people. You teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faith. You should tithe, yes. Do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus right there, he's acknowledging, yes, of course, but don't twist it into something that's legalistic. Don't twist it into just a formula. This is about relationship. This is about your heart. This is about an obedience to God. Amen? All right, next question here. Can I tithe? to any Christian organization. Great question. Hey, like we read in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So what was the storehouse? In the Old Testament, the storehouse was the temple in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, it was the church. So now, nowadays, it is the local church. It is where you and your family are impacted. What is impacting your local community? It's the place where you go to worship. That is the storehouse. Now, the Israelites gave 10% of their income to their temple. And then they gave above that to meet the needs of the poor. And that was called an offering. So it's important to know the difference between the tithe and the offering. The tithe was the 10% to the temple, to the storehouse. Anything above that to meet the needs of the poor or whatever other needs there might be, that was an offering. Now there are lots of awesome para-church, outside of church organizations that are outside of church oversight. 
We have access to tons of them through blogs and podcasts and books, and they're doing awesome, awesome things. One of the cool things about these parachurch organizations is that they can put laser-like focus onto areas like sex trafficking and just go after that in a way that the local church can't do it. So they're doing awesome, awesome things, but know this, that those are funded by offerings. That is not the local storehouse. That is resourced by offerings. And so your tithe to your local church offerings to these ministries that are really making a difference in the world. Know that your local church comes first. Even if you want to give to another local church in their teaching, that is considered an offering when you give to your church first, the 10%. So, hey, we are a tourist town. It's leaf season. I know right now a lot of you might be from out of town and you're just checking out a church while you're visiting. And I hope that you are encouraged that when you go home to your church, to invest into that church and return your tithe, pay your tithe to your local storehouse. Hey, know this, tithing is actually just a baseline for giving. It's like a jumping off point. It's the starting point because Jesus, God, Jesus called us to give everything away. And he modeled generosity that was crazy and ridiculous. And people's interest was piqued by the generosity of our Savior. So know that really we start with the tithe. That's the beginning point. Now, this is important. Believers, I'm talking to believers right now. <clears throat> God commands us to give with a cheerful heart. That's a big deal. So when you give your tithe to your church, you need to feel comfortable with the results. You need to trust your church's leadership and what they're going to do with that money and how they're going to honor God's call. At the same time, understanding that no church is perfect. All right, keeping those things in the forefront. So if you cannot give cheerfully to your local church because you're uncomfortable with this, then I want to encourage you, withholding the tithe is not an option. It's a command from God. And so find a church where you can give cheerfully. All right, so just know, withholding, not an option. Find where you can honor that leadership and get behind them. Find the leadership and the call that's on that church that you can get behind. But withholding tithe, not, not an option. Hey, next question. What if my spouse does not want to tithe? Mm, that's hard. Is that my question? Go. Whoo, tricky stuff. Who wrote these questions? So that is a very dicey area money is a hot topic no matter what in any relationship it is a hot topic and can be in marriages so um i think this is this is similar maybe you have a spouse who doesn't want to go to church you have a spouse who doesn't want to pray you have a spouse who uh, doesn't want to do those kind of things it's kind of similar to that and so the very first thing very first thing is this pray you, you need to be seeking God's wisdom in this area. You need to be on your knees asking for uh, wisdom and counsel from the Holy Spirit. So pray, pray, pray. Pray way more than you talk, complain, wonder, right? So let that, let that ratio be correct there. Pray, pray, pray. Also, let go of any desire that you have in your heart to change them. I wonder if... Many of you guys have learned this the hard way like I have, but trying to change your spouse 
Um, don't, don't, don't go there. <laughs> that's complicated, and that's actually not your job. That's not your job. You didn't marry that person to change them. They'll resent you forever if that's your approach. So that's the Holy Spirit's job to change people. Your job is to pray for them. Ask for wisdom around people uh, around you that have wisdom, couples uh, that have been married for more than a minute. Um, ask them for wisdom. Have open dialogue, too. I'm a big proponent of no hiding, no hiding anything in marriage. That's not a place to hide. Uh, but talk about this. Have, have real conversation. Don't wait for this to just come up. Right? If you're thinking, hey, I'm just going to wait, that, that'll come up eventually. It's not. It won't. Yeah, this is one of those topics. You've got to go after it directly. I think it's okay to stick to your convictions, though. You, if you have income, you can tithe off of that uh, income. But, but ultimately, you, you have to get a revelation that they have to get a revelation. This isn't about coercion. This isn't about reminding them just enough. Uh, this is about God working behind the scenes, which he can, which he will. This is about God working behind the scenes uh, to help them have their own personal revelation, because that's what it takes with finances. That's what it takes in every single area of our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's do one more question. No, let's do two more. We'll have time. We don't have time for two more. We're going to do two more anyway. Y'all good? Y'all good? All right, good. Uh, the next question is this. What if I'm tithing but still not getting ahead? Should I tithe if I'm still in debt? Great question. Hey, tithing is the beginning of wisdom. And if there's anyone that needs wisdom, it is People who are struggling in their finances and who might be in debt. Who, and so know that wisdom begins with the tithe. Now, tithing is not licensed to be foolish. It is not licensed to ignore financial principles. But it is getting that first button on your shirt right. I often hear Christians saying, well, God knows my situation right now. I was in a little car accident last week, so there's repairs, whatever. Da -da -da -da. So I'm going to take a break from tithing and I'll start. Ba -ba -ba -ba. And this is a pretty common thing out here. But we need to know this, believers. God exempts no one from tithing. Let's see this at work in Luke 21, 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich people dropping offerings in the collection plate. Then he said, then he saw a poor widow put in two pennies. He said, the plain truth is that this widow has given by far the largest offering today. All these others made offerings that they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she could not afford. She gave her all. It's important, though, to see in this example that Jesus did not reach back into the offering, pull out her two pennies, and give them back to her. She was not exempt for being a poor widow. But what he did do, he commended her for her generosity and her sacrificial giving. So no one is exempt. Know that. I love what Dave Ramsey says. He's an awesome, awesome financial counselor to thousands, if not millions of people. And he says, if you cannot live off of 90% of your income, then you cannot live off of 100%. And oh, ouch. Hey, there's some truth in that. Because when we get to the root of it, there are probably some other issues going on that are not related to our tithe. Lots of things can cause us to not increase in our finances, living above our means. Ignorance about how finances even work, ignorance about how to run a business. God does promise, like we read in Malachi 3, to rebuke the devourer on our behalf, but we still live with the consequences of our stewardship. We just do. So the idea is this, no matter what season you find yourself in, tithe. Obey God's commandment, tithe, no matter what season, but seek out some godly counsel from a Bible-believing financial counselor, a mature believer who you feel like they've got revelation in this area, seek them out. It's going to hurt. 
You're going to have to get real with them and real with yourself about what are my wants versus my needs, because those aren't the same thing. We can think they are, but they're not. And so get honest with yourself. Get accountability with how to defer your spending. Hey, Psalm 24.1 tells us the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So really, at the end of the day, our goal should be to manage all of our money, 100% of it well for God, whether we're spending, saving, or giving it away, because God owns all of it. All right, one more question, Ryan. All right, this is a good question. Can't I just give what's on my heart? Mm. So here's the thing. Emotions are a beautiful thing. God gave us emotions for a reason. They're a good thing. Being led by your heart, uh, being led by your emotions, that it can be appropriate in certain situations. But this is what I've found in my own life, that when it comes to big things, when it comes to really important things, things in my life, I have not found that being led by my emotions is really that helpful, right? I don't want to be led by my emotions when it comes to making a decision whether I'm going to go to work or not. Is anybody, that's just me, anybody else not felt like going to work before, right? You don't want that to be leading you. I don't want my emotions leading me when it comes to paying my mortgage. I don't feel like giving them another mortgage payment every month. It's pretty important, right? I don't feel like always being patient with my kids, being patient with my spouse, but that's where I'm not letting emotions lead. Emotions can be a part of it, but they're not gonna lead. So when it comes to this question about, can I just give what's on my heart? I think what what you're really asking is, why can't I just be led spontaneously in those moments? And and the Bible actually in Jeremiah cautions us that the heart can be deceitful. Being led by your emotions ultimately is a selfish way to live. And I can say that from very personal experience because really what's happening there is you're going, how does this affect me? I feel this way, so I will do this. Tithing, as we talked about, tithing breaks selfishness off of our lives. Malachi talks about the windows of heaven being open over our lives. And and catch this, catch this. This is one of my favorite and and one of the the biggest personal revelations I have about this verse and, and, and giving and all that. So Malachi talks about the windows of heaven opening over our lives when we bring God the tithe. And I think that does happen. And a lot of times when you think of windows of heaven, what do you think of? You think of more money, you think of resources, you think of favor, you think of opportunity, and yes, I think it it is those things. But I also think the windows of heaven opening are actually you, us, opening up on the inside to receive what God is giving us. I think it's not just external things that start happening, which they can, but I think it's something on the inside of you that starts to change, that starts to open up, that starts to see opportunities, starts to see God, starts to see giving in a completely different way. And that's what starts to make the difference is God starts to change us from the inside out. Amen? Well, those are all of our questions that we have time for today. I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope this has been a blessing to you today. You got something out of this. And... 
And, and I just want to say again, all of this is because we want something for you. We want you to live the life that God has truly called you to live, a life that is blessed, a life that is generous. We should be known as believers in the church as the most generous, the most blessed people on the planet. Amen? And ultimately, we encourage you to get God's input about all the areas of your life. Talk to him, heart-to-heart -heart conversations about every area of your life, and you can do that. You can live in a, in a conversation relationship with God, and that is through his son. He made that possible through Jesus. When we ask Jesus to come into our life, we invite him to be our savior. And then we begin this lifelong journey of him becoming the Lord of our life and this relationship with him that starts when we ask him into our heart. Jesus was actually a form of tithe. He was God's first and best that he gave to us. And he gave it to us in faith that we will accept him. So we never want to leave a church gathering and not put out an opportunity for people to do just that, to start a relationship with Jesus. So I want to pray with you today. I'm going to ask that all of us bow our heads and we close our eyes. Father, you have called us to live a life of abundance and generosity. It is your will for us to live in wide open spaces. I'm praying for new thinking, new believing to emerge in every one of us. Please let your spirit open up our heart and our mind to your goodness, to your provision and your abundance. You can live a life of abundant peace, abundant joy, abundant sense of purpose, strength, and joy by entering into a relationship with the God who holds it all. I want to encourage you. I don't know, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I want to pray with you today to help you take that first step towards him. Maybe you used to be close to the Lord, but you are not right now. Or maybe you're just not sure. No one is looking around, but I want to give us an opportunity to put our life into the hands of an incredible, incredible God. If that's you, if you're saying, I want to give my life to Christ, I want to come back, or I just want to be sure, I want you to raise your hand real high. You're saying, I need God. I want to return to God. I want to be sure. This is your opportunity to raise your hand. We see your hands. We're going to give you a few more moments. You're saying, I need my life in the hands of God. Anybody else? All right, I want to lead us in prayer. I'm asking for everyone in the room to join and say these words together. We're going to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I know I've sinned, but I come to you and to your cross where you paid the price for all my sin. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning. Jesus, help me become the person you've created me to be. Amen. 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 Let's thank the Lord.